Kevin, in his kindness, allows me to finish off Micah, which we spent quite a bit of time in. And it's, it's kind of almost weird, because it's like, uh, he does all the work, sets me up, tells me, oh, by the way, could you preach that? I said, sure. Then he provides me with commentaries <laughs> and notes and everything else I could possibly need <laughs> so to make my, my job much simpler. I'm like, that's really nice. Well, that's a suggestion. Maybe you could go to home section for you. No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, no. Let's not do that. All right. So, um, and then I get to uh, preach this word. And, of course, now Kevin did provide me with two commentaries, one that really hurt my brain a lot. James couldn't understand why I didn't like that particular one the best. And I'm like, I know it's James. That's just the way that works. And I like this one way better, which happens to be one of uh, Kevin's professors. Right? Mm-hmm. I can do it. great. I really like this one. But then, of course, I had this other one I kind of liked uh, a lot, too. Did you guys see this one? Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good commentary. Yeah, it went right to the back. Oh, golly, look at that. It has James Wilbright. Yeah, right on the part I'm going to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> and lo and behold, Kevin Davis. <laughs> the last two parts. So I'm like, man, he really made this really pretty simple for me. I just got to do a little bit of research, a little reading Great. So, and I did the preparation and went through some other books uh, preparing as our pastor can attest to most of the time the person doing the preaching gets more out of it than the people who get to hear the preaching. That's pretty much how that works out. And I have to admit, as I prepared this, I, I was weeping because of well, a lot of stuff, but the thing that really struck me was what we did today, what we were doing all this morning here with the body of Christ, caring for each other, being concerned for one another, praying for each other, doing what bodies do, and what Christ commanded us to do, to love one another. And as I was going through this and preparing I know Pastor Kevin kind of had an idea of probably the direction he wanted to go, but I didn't go that way. <laughs> uh, a big surprise for Pastor Kevin. <laughs> he knows that. It's going to be like that. And, of course, I'm working up to the last minute. And, and our good pastor's like, Dean, do you have a title yet? Do you have the title? So as I'm driving home, I'm doing what you're not supposed to do. I text him. I says, yes. <laughs> Who is a God like you? And that's right out of, right out of Micah. And the whole text, the whole book of Micah, is who is a God like you? Who is this great God that we get to worship, that we get to adore, that cares about us, that cares about everything that goes on in our lives? Who is this great God? that he should care about little old you and me on the planet Earth in little old Wigland, Idaho, and 
and yet he has the whole universe in his hand and in his mind and under control. Now when we can pray together, he knows who we are. It's just like Kevin, I think, was saying earlier today, I think it was you, one of us was saying that the name of that individual, whatever that gentleman's name was, he knows it's me. There may be multiple ones of him. There may be many Kevin Davises running around. But when Kevin prays, he knows it's Kevin Davis. This Kevin Davis. That's our God. That's who we worship. That's who's described in this little booklet we wrote up and in this Word of God that we get to read that describes who He is. And I hope we never lose sight of the incredibleness of this Word that we get. It's His Word. It's what we live our lives by. I had people that I talk to, you know, as I do these home inspections and they say stuff and do stuff and whatever. And I keep back, coming back to one thing. This is the truth. That's it. They can question it. God doesn't mind. He's a big God. He doesn't mind that we have questions. He'll answer our questions if we're sincere in our heart and we're truly seeking after His face. He'll do that. Because He's a great God and He loves us. So, I get to finish out Micah. We're in Micah 7, 8 through 20. And as I was going through it, it it is clear. And as you look at your little notation here, as we start, we see judgment, promise, judgment, promise, judgment, promise. We're at the promise. And we can see that this promise is messianic in its very nature. We can see it follows the course almost exactly of what (coughs) happened with Moses. And the people of Israel and the promise that we are the beneficiaries of here, right here, little woodland. We get to be the beneficiaries of what happens. As I looked at this over and over, what kept coming to my mind is a term that you guys may have, I think Pastor Kevin may have preached on this once, maybe not. The term of Hesed. Are you familiar with that term? Some of you may be. It's a Jewish term, it's a word that we don't actually have a good uh, definition for. But the term hesed is the idea of loving kindness. If you read that in your scriptures, you see that mostly in the Psalms. God's loving kindness towards us. His loving kindness towards his people. Everywhere I read and hear as I read through this, I'm seeing... Here's his people, rebellious as always, and yet his loving kindness is to tell them and ensure, assure them that yes, I care about you. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, I've been a husband to you. Yes, you've been adulterous, just as we were reading earlier in the Proverbs, this idea. Yet he keeps coming back again and again and again. It's no different for us. All sin falls short of the glory of God. Nobody here is not. Yet God keeps calling us back. He says, come on back. Okay, come on back. Christ's sacrifice on the cross, more than enough. More than enough to take care of that. And so, I keep looking at that. And I kept coming back to that. It is covenant language. 
of God for us. It ultimately gives us hope to all, can, all mankind throughout the whole world that the shed blood of Jesus Christ is enough. Who is a God like you? It is enough. So, loving kindness. Where did that come from? That term come from? Uh, because, like I say, there's no exact translation of that word. So, it came from this, and I, I'll read it directly to you. This is a biblical word invented by Miles Coverdale. Some of you may know who he was. And carried over into the English versions generally. It is one of the words he used in Psalms, meaning God used in Psalms, 23 times, plus in Hosea 2.19. To translate the Hebrew hesed, which we generally spell it H-E-S-E-D, many times it's spelled with a C-H-E-S-E-D, in case you're looking it up or want to uh, look in your concordance on that. Where it refers, refers to God's love for his people Israel. The nearest New Testament equivalent to the Hebrew word hesed is grace. It's as close as we get. As Luther realized it when he used it in, his, in the German language, and he used it for both grace and for this idea of loving kindness. The word is used only in cases where there is some recognized tie between the parties concerned. It is not used indiscriminately of kindness in general or haphazard kindly deeds. This is why Coverdale was careful to avoid using the word kindness in respect to God's dealing with the people of Israel. The theological importance of the word hesed is that it stands more than any other word for the attitude which both parties to the covenant ought to maintain towards each other. We should have loving kindness as well towards our Father, our Heavenly Father, as He has towards us. Many of you heard me in this church preach on covenant, covenant language, and the many covenants that are throughout the scriptures, and the critical nature of it. Uh, Kim and I were exposed to covenants and covenant language through a, a ministry, a minister called Malcolm Smith. That's some 30 odd years ago. And that's where the first time I was ever introduced to this idea of loving kindness, of God's loving kindness. And it's when I first realized the whole uh, concept of how important it is that we understand covenant language. The scripture is replete with it. And it is not just the idea of a contract, it's much more than that. It's more than just I have a, a binding contract myself and someone else. No. It's not only the binding contract, but it's our care and concern for each other to maintain the contract, to maintain the relationship in the contract. We care that you don't violate the contract, and I want to help you not violate it. It's that idea. I, I, I don't want you to violate I'm going to help you not violate That's what's going on there. As you, some will remember, when I preached on this, I won't do the time probably, but at least a few times that I can remember for sure, we talked in general about Genesis 15, the promise of God to Abram, that from him the seed would come. And that seed, of course, was speaking of the great nation of Israel, but future, more importantly, that seed ultimately referring to and becoming Jesus Christ. And so, 
this whole idea, when God ratified that covenant in Genesis 15, is where you can see that, Abraham was actually in a deep trance or sleep at the time of the covenant ratification. There's a whole process, and I won't go into that whole discussion. But basically, God pretty much put Abraham aside, at that time it was called Abram, and he committed all the parts of the covenant relationship. Because he knew man couldn't. So God covenanted with God to ensure that the covenant could never be broken. That's how that happened. And we became the beneficiary of that. Then we see in chapter 17, later on, Abram's name, we kind of discussed this a little bit in, in our Sunday school, his name was changed from Abram to Abraham. And that Ham is actually taking on the name of God. Covenant relationship, marriage relationship. It is where the idea that uh, in many cultures, the wife takes on the husband's name. We lost sight of that's where that came from. But that's in many cultures. It's that idea. It's that connectiveness. You're not part of me, I'm now part of you. We're together. We're one. That's where that idea came from. And so I'm going to read this. In Genesis 17, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I read that. And I've known that. And it's scripture memorized. But what came to my mind was this song. Some of you probably know this song. I have a new name written down in glory. Some of you guys know that song. You know that song? I I want to read it because uh, I can't sing it. Uh, I don't have Kenny's voice. Huh? Kenny's voice. <laughs> no, no, not that. It's uh, I don't have the the, the uh, you know I can read notes. I can't read music. Oh. <laughs> so uh, if, if somebody wants to sing it, and they'll try to sing the words. I'd love that. That'd be good. We could sing it together. Would anybody be up for that? There's a new song, Glory in His Morning. Yes, of course. But how about the rest? Can you do it? You know how to do it? It goes like this. I was once a sinner. Yeah. Phil, can I get you to come up here for a minute with me, please, Phil? We're going to put you on the spot, Mr. Phil. Yeah. Take a look. But you can't. I was once a sinner, but I came pardon to receive from my Lord. This was really given, and I found that he always kept his word. In 521, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes, it's mine. And the white-robed angels sing the story, a sinner has come home, has come home. There's a new name written down in glory, 
and it's mine, oh yes it's mine, with my sins forgiven I am bound for heaven, never more to roam. I was only kneeling at the cross, fearing not but God's angry frown, when the heavens opened and I saw that my name was written down. New day written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes it's mine. When the white-robed angels sing the story, a sinner has come home. For there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes it's mine. With my sins forgiven, I am bound for heaven, never more to go. In the book is written, saved by grace, all the joy that came to my soul. Now I am forgiven, and I know by the blood I am made whole and made whole. For there's a new name written out in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. And the white-robed angel sings a story, a sinner has come home, for there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes it's mine, with my sins forgiven I am bound for heaven, never more to <laughs> well, I couldn't remember how exactly that went, but it was something. I'm pretty sure. But I wept, as I said. I wept because it's reality. That's truth. That is reality of what happened when we came to Christ. That's a real thing. That's what salvation is about. It is what is written in the scriptures. It's what we realize when we look at the scriptures and we realize the coming Messiah. This is what they were waiting for. They were waiting for the coming Messiah. They were looking forward to it. We were talking about that in John this morning in our class. How did they know? Well, they were looking for him. They wanted to see him come. It's what we're supposed to be doing now. Looking for the return. We forget about it. Growing up as a, a Pentecostal, we're reminded every Sunday. <laughs> every Sunday. And my mother reminded me every day that Jesus might return today. So guess what? We kept our accounts really short. <laughs> That's how that went in my family. And so the reality is that that's what we're looking at. The prophet's words were about ultimately the Messiah. Ultimately for salvation. They may not have understood it the way we do, but that's what Israel was there for. 
They gave us the example, if you will, of what was to come. But the beauty part of that is when you look in your little sheet, judgment and promise, we got the promise. We're the ones, we got the promise. That's us. We got the promise. Ultimately, only the Messiah could vanquish our iniquities and cast them into the depth of the sea. As you read this in that context, place yourself in the position of Israel. The covenant breaker, the harlot, who never kept her end of the marriage relationship, that Hosea spoke of so clearly, using himself as the example of what Israel continuously did to God, even though he was a husband to her. Example after example. Example after example. It is in that view, we look in the mirror and say, Christ did it all for me, when I could do nothing. When I was powerless in my sin and depravity, when all hope was gone out of my bones, he entered into my life, into my heart, into my mind, into my will, into my emotions, into every crevice of my being, and brought out, brought me out of the muck and the mire of life, and set me on a rock, the rock of my salvation. The anchor of my soul. Gave me true life. Life that is everlasting. Life that has meaning. Life that has value. Because... Christ died for me, for you, for everyone else. That's why you've heard me say before, I'll never understand. People walk around saying I'm worthless, useless, and I, I don't understand why I have such a poor idea of myself. Do you realize the creator of the universe died for you? You're really worth a lot. You're way worth more than anything you can think of. And here it is. Clear as a bell. He did it all for us. Kevin's going to be starting into a new series here. You know we're coming into the Passover. And I think we need to understand that he did it all. Because we can't do anything. We can obey him. We can follow him. That we can do. That's what we should do because we're in covenant with him through what his son did for us. Has said Loving kindness. He showed it to us. We certainly should show it back. We can pray and believe and trust like we did this morning. That's what makes this congregation special. We do that. Pastor Kevin had a sense in his heart. We needed to pray for our friends. We did. We did. And we've done this before for others. That's loving kindness, isn't it? It is. That's what I look at. This is also a chapter of lament. The lament is the realization of breaking God's heart. Also, the failure to obey, the failure to follow the word, the failure to do the things we know we're supposed to do. Who isn't just Israel? It's us. Every day of the week? Probably. Hopefully I won't say twice on something. But, but every day of the week, right? We, we all fail. It happens. Thankfully, God's there. Thankfully, He forgives us of our sins all the time. And we just come before His throne like we did this morning and pray. And we know and we trust. It's one of the things Phil always prays. He trusts that God hears His prayers. That's how He prays. Because so do I, so do you. We're not just praying into thin air. 
we're praying to a God that hears us, hears our voice, knows our heart, knows what's hurting in us now, this minute. What's not going the way we'd like it to go, he knows that. He's intimate with us. This is a picture of all of us pre-Christ. We spoke of Micah. This is every single person walking the planet Earth that has yet to call on a name that is above all names. The name that will cause every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are Israel, in this sense, those that have not accepted Christ. Proud, haughty before the Lord God Almighty, claiming that our three-pound brain can comprehend the majesty of His creation, that we possess all knowledge and give us a minute to prove it with our technology, theories of evolution, belief in that man is inherently good when he is in fact evil. But we'll tell you that, even though we think that we somehow can throw off the shackles of this entity, and if we just throw off the shackles of this God, any God, then we will be boundlessly free as human beings. Isn't that a lie? Yet there's people running around espousing that lie. And I know some of them, and I'm sure you do too, that believe all the problems in the world are because of religion, and worse than that, because of Christians. But that's not true. It's a false statement. It is the nature of the person that has not come to Christ yet. Don't condemn that person. Don't hate that person. Love that person so that they might come to Christ. So they might, in us, Jim and I were talking this morning, might see something in us that captures their imagination and their heart and think, like, what do they those people do differently? They act differently. They're different. What, what is it that's making them different? Most of the time in the crowd, they're not going to talk to you. But one-on-one, you'd be amazed what they tell you. People have heard some of my stories from home inspections, what people tell me. I gotta admit, pretty weird, but they say all kinds of stuff. But why? Stretch them lonely. You want to tell somebody something. I can't tell you how people confess their stuff to me. And I mean, like, stuff. And it's like, okay, I'm just doing a home inspection, but if you're gonna tell me all that, well, they're inviting me to answer eventually when I get done. Inspecting, then I have to say something. But I've got an opportunity, right? Why? Generally, because I'm just sitting there listening. It's not working, but they don't try to get an inspection. But I'm just listening to them. And, and they're lonely. And they don't have somebody to talk to. And then, for whatever reason, they start spilling their guts to me. Like, whatever that's about. But in any event, Dean. Yeah, I think. I, I, I think the white hair is finally taking fashion. Some, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It is strange. Every week there's somebody else decides to test their stuff. Okay. Uh, I ultimately, as I went through this, I got stuck on verses 18 through 20. Who is God like you? Who is a God like you? you who pardons sin? and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will 
tread our sins underfoot, and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob, and show love to Abraham, as you pledge not an oath to our ancestors and days on the covenant language. Again, covenant language. Which led me right back to a verse that I memorized a long time ago. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, if you want to turn there. Some of you already know it. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke. Do I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Yeah, that's our God. We repent, He forgives, and forgets. Unlike us, when we bring up the past hurts and failures, yeah, I forgave you, but you remember when. That's not what God does. He doesn't do that. Thankfully. This is our God. Have you sinned? Of course you have. Have you disobeyed God? Of course you have. Have you turned your back on God when He was calling your name? Of course you have. Will He forgive your sins, remember them no more? Yeah. He will. And He does. And the question is, do you believe that? Because that's the whole key. Do you believe that? Father, we just we know your mercy and grace is forever. We know your mercy is extended to us all the time. We thank you, Lord God, that you do extend. We ask you, Father God, to be with each and every one of us. Each of our situations in life, all the difficulties and the troubles and the trials we all go through. Father, we trust you. We know you care about us. You love us unconditionally. Father God, your hesed is shown to us day and night and night and day. Father, that we might show that back to you. Father, that we would show that to each other. That the loving kindness you've just poured out on us, graciously, we would pour out on others. So that they might know, just as your word says, they know us by our love for each other. The world would see that this little body of Christ is different than others. They care about each other. They love each other. Father God, that that is manifest through what we do, what we say. Lord God, as you go with us throughout this week, strengthen us, power, put the power of the Holy Spirit throughout our bones that we would not hesitate to speak. Lord God, that you are the great I am. We thank you for all you do and all you've done. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.